John 5, verse 19 through 29. The gospel writer writes these things. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the, the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And as he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. We live in a time when we're very concerned with justice. Justice is something that people talk about. It's all over us. It's all around us. In fact, just this week, just kind of a cursory look through the newspaper, there's all these appeals to justice. I read some articles this week from some folks saying that the the voting act in Georgia was just. It was, it was going to create a just and fair election. I read other articles that said these laws are unjust. There's great injustice that's been performed by the folks in Georgia. I read some articles this week that said there's a great discrepancy between the budget for men's sports in the NCAA and the budgets of women's sports in the NCAA, and that is an injustice. And then I read another article that said it was an injustice that they had such clear lines between men's and women's sports in college athletics. Everybody wants justice. <laughs> Everybody's calling out for justice. Give us justice. That's injustice. Yet nobody agrees on what that is, on what that standard should be. Alastair McIntyre warned us about this in his classic book, Whose Justice, Which Rationality? It was written many years ago. But he was critiquing the Enlightenment. Enlightenment thinkers said, particularly David Hume, we don't really need 
external authorities like the Bible to discern what is right or what is just or what is good or what is bad. Simple rationality, right? Rational thinking will lead people to common conclusions on what is moral and what is just. What Alistair McIntyre was saying is that Hume was wrong. You can have two people looking at the same situation rationally, rational people, and they both come to different conclusions. It doesn't matter. <laughs> There's not a thing that's just rationality. There's not a thing that's just justice. What, what, what Alistair McIntyre was asking is, it matters whose justice or which rationality you're using. And you know, that is illustrated actually right here in John 5, or particularly in the passage we looked at last week or on Sunday. You had two groups of people considering the same event and coming up with very different conclusions. If you were with us on Sunday, I talked about Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. Amazing healing. 38 years, this man had been an invalid. He was unable to walk. And then amazingly, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your mat and begin to walk. And he did. And all of the Pharisees could see in this moment, this amazing, miraculous moment where God's power had been poured out, all they could see was that he broke the Sabbath. And they got angry with the man. And they got angry with Jesus because the man said that it was Jesus that had healed him, that he had told him to take up his mat. And then Jesus said, I'm just doing what my father told me to do. What you see me doing, it's simply what my father has told me to do. And when he said this, they got really mad because now all of a sudden Jesus was comparing himself to God. Jesus was saying that I am like the father. I am doing what the father has commanded. And then what we read tonight Jesus begins to speak to this. And what he says, this is so important for us, what he says is going to teach us a lot tonight about the nature of Jesus. It's going to teach us a lot tonight about the justice of Jesus. And it's going to teach us a lot about, particularly tonight, the cross of Jesus. So I want to look at those things with you, the nature of of Jesus. You can't understand Jesus. If you're new to Christianity or if you're trying to figure out what Christians believe, you, you can't understand Jesus unless you understand his nature, or I should say his two natures. Christians believe that Jesus has both a divine nature and a human nature, that Jesus is not half man and half God, right? He's, it's not Hercules, right, where he's some superman that's little less than the gods, but a little more than men. And we believe that Jesus, in his two natures, his divine nature and his human nature, it's what we call, what theologians call the hypostatic union of the natures of Christ, that Jesus is fully divine. He is fully God. He is one with the Father. He is one with God. And he's fully human. And this is a hard thing to understand. I mean, this is a hard thing to believe. It's a hard thing to hold to. Christians struggle with this. Some of you may believe in the divinity of Jesus. 
You know that Jesus is high and above you, and, and you actually struggle to believe in the humanity of Jesus. You struggle to believe that he actually can relate to you, that you can actually know him, that, that you can actually have this personal relationship with God through Jesus. And some of you are the opposite, right? You believe in the humanity of Jesus. You've got your Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt, but you struggle to believe in the divinity of Jesus, in the, the, the God power of Jesus. This is what we call his transcendence. God is transcendent. He is high above us. He is more than us. He is outside of us, but he's also imminent. He can be known. This is what Jesus has come to do, to make God known. And these Jewish people considering this, they believed. They knew who God was. God was transcendent. God was above them. God was mysterious. God was outside of them. And they knew who Jesus was. He's a man. He's the carpenter's son. He's one of us. And so the fact that this man, one of them, was saying that I am like this God blew them away. They didn't know what to do with this. They didn't understand the incarnation. But what Jesus is explaining to them, what he's teaching them here, and what he's saying to us is the amazing message of the gospel. Hear this, God has visited us. God, the transcendent God, has come close to us. God has made himself known in the person of Jesus, and not just made himself known, made himself known in the most personal way. Jesus is saying, God is showing himself to you. Good news is here. Light is here. Life is here. God is speaking to you. The Father who has authority to give life and give light is now giving it through the Son, God is visiting you. How are you ever going to know what is just? How are you ever going to know what is true? How are you ever going to know where real life is and real meaning is and real purpose? Answer, God has shown you. God has visited you. God has made all of this known in the person of Jesus. Fully man, fully God, we can know him, we can identify with him because he's fully man. He can be our substitute because he's fully man, yet he has the power to overcome sin and death and darkness and shame because he is fully God. I love verse 21. He says, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whoever he will. And then Jesus says this, listen to verse 22. For the father judges no one, but has given judgment to the son, that all may honor the son, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Through Jesus, we can know God. This most profound thing can happen to you. Through Jesus, you can know God. Do you realize that? What is the most profound thing that could ever happen to you? I'm going to go and tell you, it's that you could know God. <laughs> I'm just a simple little man from Alabama, 
no one will remember my life. No one will, in a hundred years, two hundred years, no one will talk about me. No one will know who I am. Even the generations that follow me, they will have totally forgotten me. I talked to Imriana the other day and she says, what was your grandfather's name? And I knew my grandfather's name. And she said, what was your great-grandfather's name? And I knew my great-grandfather's name. And then she said, what was his father's name? And I said, I don't know. And the same will happen to me. I'll be totally forgotten. But here's the deal. I know God. And because I know God, I have life. And I have life in him. And anything is possible if you can know God. Verse 24 is one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. It's one of the most amazing things that has ever been said. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. This is all possible because of the nature, or I guess I should say natures of Jesus. He is fully man. You can know him. You can relate to him. You can connect with him. He can be your substitute, and he's fully God. Through him, you can know God. But this passage also teaches us a lot about the justice of God. We all want justice. We all want justice. But we don't want to be underneath justice, right? We, we all want justice, but we don't want to judge. I believe that intrinsically, we know that there is a God. He must be just. There, there must be some standard out there, but we don't like the idea of having to submit to his justice. We all want justice. We don't want to judge. And this is because, and I want you to hear this, this is because the justice of God is simultaneously the most comforting thought that you could ever have and the most terrifying thought that you could ever have. The justice of God, when you think about it, is actually simultaneously, at the same time, the most comforting thought that you could ever have. It's incredibly comforting and incredibly terrifying. We all want justice. And here's the good news. If you want justice, justice will come. There is a judge. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and we were talking about injustice. We were talking about people we knew that had done something and they'd gotten away with it. It was wrong. We talked about people we knew that had been hurt by this. And, and we were talking about this and really felt powerless to do anything about it. That is such a horrible feeling, to see an injustice, to see something that you know is wrong and be powerless to do anything to take, to do anything about it. When you see people that have been taken advantage of, that have been cheated by the system, when you consider big social ills, things like pornography, it's ruined so many marriages. It's ruined so many families. It's ruined our understanding of the sacredness of sex. And you see, it's just running rampant and people are getting rich and nobody cares. When you th consider things like human trafficking, 
People are just being trafficked and abused and objectified. Slaves. When you consider whole regimes and whole countries where just massive corruption and wickedness exists, I'm going to tell you, there's only one righteous response when you consider injustice. And you know what it is? The only, you know, the only righteous response when you consider injustice is anger. You should be angry when you see something that's wrong. You should be mad. Now, sometimes this anger leads us to pursue justice through just systems on earth. And sometimes the justice system gets it right and Sometimes we see the wheels of justice turning and we're pursuing this more perfect union together, this more perfect world. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it works out and it, it feels so good. But then we consider for all of the times that we see justice here, there's so much more injustice that remains. And you know where injustice really gets you? It's not, it's not just when it's out there. It's happening where injustice really gets you when it happens to you. When you're the victim, when you're powerless, when you know that some, something has happened that's, that's wrong and, and, and something has been taken from you that you can't get back, that's where injustice really hurts you. But here, if that is you today, good news. The justice of God is the most comforting thought. There is no unsettled account. God is going to settle every account. He is going to bring every evil to bear. He is going to make all things right. There is a God who is good. He is the fountain of good. He is the anchor of goodness. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. His judgments are always right. He is the great judge who has the authority to settle all accounts. God will bring justice to bear wherever there has been injustice. That is comforting. But the justice of God is simultaneously the most comforting and the most terrifying thought that you could ever have. And it's terrifying to anyone who is guilty of injustice. God will settle all accounts, including yours, including mine. We all want justice. We just don't want to judge. We just don't want to be subject to another judge. We want to be the judge. We would all admit tonight, yeah, I've done some stuff that I'm not proud of here and there, but you know what? If you really knew the story, you'd understand why. We all have a reason. We all have an excuse. You ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? It's a movie about a prison. And they have this running joke in the prison. They say, everybody's innocent in here. Everybody's innocent. Everybody's got an excuse. Something happened. It wasn't my fault. Everybody's innocent in here. And I think we all do this with our sin, and we will do this with our sin until all the facts are really known. Paige has a, a friend that came in town. She's moved out of town, but she came in town a few weeks ago, and she wanted to surprise Paige. And she was coming in town, and we'd been working on this surprise, and we were so excited about the surprise. 
And right before the surprise was supposed to happen, a, a mutual friend had emailed Paige saying, aren't you so excited that our friend is coming in town? We're going to ruin the surprise. And so the friend called me. was like, Jason, you've got to figure out. We can't let Paige see that email. She said, if Paige sees the email, it'll ruin the surprise. And so I got, I like snuck into Paige's email. I felt like a secret agent and I was trying to delete this email before she would see it. Paige, this email could ruin the surprise. And I was thinking about that. What if there was a file or what if there was an email that if it got out, all the facts would be known and it would ruin you? What if there was a file out there that all the facts were really known and it would ruin you? Last week when we talked about Sabbath, I quoted this passage. I didn't really read it, but it's from Hebrews 4. Let me just read it to you. It says, therefore, Hebrews 4.11, let us strive to enter that rest, that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And I said this last week, how do you strive to enter the rest? You look to Jesus. How do you look to Jesus? You find Jesus in his word, the word of God that is living and active. But notice what happens in the passage. This is a fascinating passage of scripture. The word is living and active. It will divide the soul. It will divide the spirit. It will divide joints and marrow. It will pierce you. And then what are the pronouns that the author of Hebrews uses to, to, um, to talk about, to, to be a pronoun for, the, the ver or the, the subject, the word of God. What are the pronouns that modify the subject, the word of God? And you know what they are? You know what the pronouns are? His. Him. Isn't that interesting? Word of God. What pronoun would you use? I would use its, right? It's the word of God. Its is the right pronoun. But the author of Hebrews says, no, that's not the right pronoun. Jesus is so intricately tied with his word, his thoughts, his, it's him to whom we must give an account. No creature is hidden from his thoughts. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him. This amazing passage that says, this discerns, he discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to him who we must give an account. What if there was a file out there that would ruin you? And what this is saying is there is. We're naked and exposed before God. He knows everything. He discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. He knows all of your deeds. 
He knows all of your thoughts. He knows all of your intentions. You know, I've said this before, but if tonight I had a big screen up here and I said, look, who here is willing for me to show the file, for me to get the file out? I'm going to show all these people everything you've ever done, all your righteous deeds and all your unrighteous deeds, all your righteous thoughts and all your unrighteous thoughts, all of your righteous intentions and all of your unrighteous intentions, your real heart, not, not a false perception of you, your real heart is going to be known. I've got it right here on this thumb drive. It would be a file that would ruin you. You would be naked and exposed. And I would too. Naked and exposed. And then what does it say? To him whom we must give an account. The justice of God is the most comforting thing you could think about. Jesus is going to settle all accounts, but it's simultaneously the most terrifying thought that you could have because Jesus will settle your accounts. There is a great judge. There is a judgment of these things. And you know what this judge's name is? This is one of the things that makes John 5 so interesting. What is the name of this judge? Who is this judge's name? You know what the name of the great judge is? Jesus. Verse 22, the father judges no one, but he has given judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. This passage teaches us a lot about the nature of Jesus, fully God, fully man. It teaches us a lot about the justice of of Jesus. He is the great judge, but it also reminds us, and especially tonight, it reminds us about the cross of Jesus. This is a day when we as Christians stop and remember the cross. We remember the cross, this most cruel form of execution, the guillotine, the hangman's noose, the electric chair, lethal injection. These are all merciful executionary methods compared to the Roman cross. We remember this deep and rugged and horrible pain. We remember this horrible sign, and yet we call it good. Why? Well, Jesus said that a, a day is coming, a judgment day is coming, where some are going to be called to life and some are going to be called to death. Day is coming when some are going to be called to life and some are going to be called to death. So the question that you should ask of this passage is which, where is the judgment going to call you? Is it going to call you to life or to death? The Bible is full of these, isn't it? The wheat and the tare, the sheep and the goats, the house on the rock, the house on the sand. There's all these pictures in the Bible where you can't tell the difference. One house is on the rock, one house is on the sand. It's the same house. How do you know which one is which? But the different is just that they have massively different fates. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of the judgment. But here's the question. 
Who has done good? <laughs> Who has done good? Who gets the resurrection of life? We just said, if I had the file, we would all be exposed and naked and ruined before the judge. Who has done good? There is no one hidden from his sight. No one avoids the perfect justice of God. Who is good here? Who is resurrected to life and who is resurrected to total separation from God? This is what the Bible says. Death, darkness, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think we, we often struggle with this reality. Why is sin against God so, why does it require such punishment, such torment? You know, the great British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, he talked about this and he said, we, we struggle with the punishment for our sin because we don't understand the office that God holds. You know, if, if on the way out of the service tonight, you were to get mad at something I said today, I'm standing over here saying, hey, thanks for coming. And on the way out of this service, you're going to get mad at something I say, and you, you rear back and you hit me in the face. What's going to happen to you? I'd probably give you a weird look like, okay, see you on Easter. I mean, I, I, I may not be happy the next time I see you, but I don't know. You'd probably go off and get in your car and not much would happen to you. But if you get in your car and you speed away from here, you get pulled over by the police officer. He says, I'm going to give you a ticket. And you say, you think you're going to give me a ticket? And you punch him in the face. What's going to happen to you? Well, this time, you're going to get arrested. You did the same thing to me as you did to him. What's the difference? He has a different office. Well, let's say later the President Biden comes to Atlanta and you say, man, I don't think I got enough in my stimulus check. And you punch him in the face. <laughs> what's going to happen to you then? You know what's going to happen before you probably can even punch him in the face? Secret Service is going to take you out. <laughs> Same thing. You punch me, you punch the police officer. One, nothing really much happens. The other, you get arrested. The other, you get shot. What, what's the difference? office. There's a weightiness. There's a significance. There's a sin against a different office. Action against a different office means you know, the, the same thing applies to innocence, too. The, the more innocent someone is, it, it changes what the offense is. It, if you were to slap me in the face on the way out of here, people would probably say, man, Jason had it coming. But if you were to rear back and go slap one of the little girls in Covenant Kids, innocent little girls, people would look at you like, this is the most horrible person I've ever seen. Why? There's a different degree of innocence. There's a different degree of culpability. You know, significance does this too. A few years ago, I remember reading the story of Rosa Parks when she got robbed. Some guy robbed Rosa Parks. This was many years ago. And everybody was like, how could you rob Rosa Parks? How could you rob Rosa Parks? Now, if this guy would have robbed somebody else, we, I wouldn't have been reading about it. 
in Alabama at the time. But why was it so significant? Because he, he robbed Rosa Parks, this incredibly significant woman who did so much for the civil rights movement. What does it mean to sin against God? You know, the problem with us understanding any sort of punishment and judgment from God is we have no idea what it means that we could sin against God who has the highest office, an office so much higher than a policeman or a president, who has total innocence, who never has done anything wrong, who has total significant, who is more significant than God? What does it mean to sin against God, the one with the highest office, the one with total innocence, the one with the most significance? And this is why the cross is so important. What does the cross mean to you? If you are a Christian, then you understand the meaning of this day. You understand that you aren't righteous and that Jesus, the righteous judge, the one who will settle all accounts, if he knew the record that you really have and he does, would condemn you. But he didn't. If you're a Christian, you know that this righteous judge actually took on your judgment. Imagine a courtroom. Are you there? Imagine a courtroom. And you're the defendant. And your record is known. And there's a judge in the courtroom. And everybody loves this judge. This is, this is a significant judge. His dad's the richest guy in town. His dad's the most important man in town. But the riches hasn't, haven't ruined this judge. No, he's, he's the best guy there. He's He's humble and he's kind and he's good and he's always seeking the welfare of others. And the only reason he is a judge is because he actually cares about bringing righteousness to this town. And you're the defendant. You're the one that has tainted this town, that has brought injustice to this town, that has brought a lack of righteousness to this town. And you've been found guilty. And now it's the sentencing and the sentence that you, the defendant, deserves is death. And here the judge is handing out the sentencing. But just as the bailiff is about to come and arrest you and take you away, this judge steps in and he hands you a note and he hands you a key. And rather than you being arrested, he is arrested. He is taken away. He endures the judgment that should have been given to you. And you look at the note and it says, this is a key to my father's house. <laughs> Enjoy. Knock yourself out. All that is mine is now yours. If you're a Christian, that's what this day means to you. And that's why we can look at the cross as something that has been done for us and call it good. But if you're not a Christian, when you consider the cross, and I want you to hear this, the cross to you is a warning of something that will happen to you. You can either look at the cross 
as something good that has happened to you. Or you can look at the cross as a warning of something bad that will happen to you. It's a sign either way. It's a sign that Jesus in his mercy has paid the price of our condemnation on the cross, or it is a sign of your coming judgment. We all want judgment. We all want justice. We all want justice. And I'm going to tell you, there is a judge. But today, now, now is the time of grace. Now is a moment of salvation. Now is a time when the invitation of the cross is open and it's free and it's wide. And so I invite you on this Good Friday to be the person that looks at the cross as something that has happened, as something good that has happened on your behalf. The judge has taken on the sentence on your behalf. He's died in your place if you look to him in repentance and faith. Quit looking at it as something, as a warning of something that will happen. But turn now to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. You can know God through Jesus. He came as a man to be fully known, but he was divine. And through him, you can really know God. He came with authority. And right now, now in this time, he has paid for our sins. He he is our justifier, but, but he will show himself to be judge. Look to the cross, not as a warning of something bad that will happen, but look to the cross right now as a sign of something good that has happened as you trust Jesus through repentance and faith. We pray with me. Father, Give this church tonight faith. Today is a day of grace. The cross is saying to us, something good has happened. On the cross, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. On him was the chastisement, was our sentence the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Lord, give us saving faith today. For the very first time, or for the 500th time, turn our hearts right now in this moment to trust in Jesus, to look to Jesus, and not to ourselves, not to our own righteousness. Help us to realize even right now the bankruptcy of our own life and our total need and our total dependence on Jesus, this righteous judge. Open our blind hearts to see this, Lord. May this be a day when we look to the cross as something good, that has happened for us and not as a warning sign of something bad that will happen to us, Lord. Father, give us faith. 
that your son through us may be glorified. We pray this in his name. Amen. At this time, we're going to remember the cross as Christians by taking the Lord's Supper. And if you are a believer and if you have trusted Christ, and if, you, if you're turning away from sin today and you want to hold on to Jesus and the life that he gives by looking to him in faith, then I invite you to take this meal hold on to it and we'll take it here corporately in just a few moments if you're not a believer today well, I invite you to not take this supper but I will say to you and I say this in love as it passes in front of you let it be a warning to you I pray that it would be a haunting warning to you and that you would turn away from whatever it is that has captured your heart whatever it may be that is other than the Lord and that you would turn to him, that you would repent and turn to the Lord in faith. But I do, I do want to encourage you. The Bible actually says that if you're not a believer and you take this meal, that you're, you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. So I do just warn you to, to let it pass and to consider these things and to come and find me or to find another of our pastors. Let today be the day of salvation for you. Let's consider the cross, this good thing.